In the way that the church assigns our readings, this year we have for Easter the passage from St. John's Gospel. And it's so interesting how the Gospels present slightly different perspectives on um, the stories that we uh, love from the Gospels. And this one, um, according to John, this is the events of the first Easter, how they unfolded in this sequence. First of all, Mary Magdalene was the first to visit the tomb. And when she saw the stone rolled away from the door and Jesus' body missing, she immediately went to tell Peter and John. And then the two disciples came running out to check Mary's story. John outran Peter, but it was Peter who entered the tomb first. So there we know that John could run faster than Peter, right? <laughs> but also we see that in his natural personality, Peter was a leader. He marched into that tomb first. And then the third thing that John says is that what they observed in that tomb was simply an empty chamber with linen burial clothes neatly arranged. I remember my mom making this point that Jesus listened to his mother <laughs> because when he arose, he made his bed. <laughs> John writes that he came and he saw and he believed. But now we come to a bit of a puzzle. If the disciples believed once they saw the empty tomb, then why does John add these words in verse 9? For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What could John have meant by this? Why did he criticize himself for this lack of faith? In effect, what John was saying here is, I came, I saw, I believed, but only to a point. For I did not yet know that the scriptures had foretold that Jesus would rise again. I should have remembered that the scripture said that, I should have known that Jesus would rise from the dead because God had already proclaimed that this would happen. And as the church came to look at this later, the knowledge of scripture would become absolutely critical for the apostolic faith. The fathers taught this principle. When therefore they looked at these events in light of the prophecies fulfilled, their faith was from that time forward rooted on a firm foundation. So dear friends, that's why the church is now emphasizing the importance of all of the faithful knowing scripture. It's very important. But as we see in, in this passage today, it's not only a matter of knowing the scripture, because these were well-instructed disciples. Why were Peter and John so slow to understand 
the significance of what they had seen. Yes, they came and saw, but what they believed was simply what Mary Magdalene had already reported to them, that the body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Notice what happens next. Well, you can't notice in the, um, because we don't print verse 10 in the, it's not in our reading today, but the next verse after our reading today is, then the disciples went away again unto their own homes. Is this the kind of behavior we would expect to see if they had fully a grasp that Jesus had risen from the dead? We would expect them to be overjoyed and full of zeal and waking up the whole city with the electrifying news, he lives, he lives. Instead, they were still confused. The full truth of the resurrection had not yet dawned on them. Jesus spent so much time teaching them, so they certainly did know the scriptures. They knew the prophecy in Psalm 16, for thou wilt not leave my holy soul in the underworld, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. They were not so dull as to have forgotten what Jesus had taught them. Already Peter had confessed that Jesus was God. John had heard with his own ears what Jesus had said, that he would win a mighty victory over death. Yet something is missing. They were not ready to come to terms with what they had seen at the tomb. They had all the evidence they needed. He is not here. But they were slow to draw the obvious conclusion. He lives. The Holy Spirit had not yet come to enlighten their understanding about the resurrection. Thus the disciples went away, not all that much the wiser, to their own home. Now, a lot of us are probably in a similar place to where Peter and John were on that first Easter morning. Most of us probably don't have too much difficulty accepting the fact that the bones of Jesus are nowhere to be found on this earth. Sure, I can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm not sure what that means for me. To be honest, it doesn't seem to make that much of a difference in my life. I suppose I feel a little guilty that my faith is so weak. But just as no power on earth could have brought Jesus back from the dead, so it is with our faith. Faith is a gift from above not a work of the mind, and only the Holy Spirit can give us faith. Like Peter and John, we may have to go home and wait for it to come, but it surely will come to those who love God. Jesus promises faith to those who seek it. So to understand faith, here is the key from this account of the first Easter. Faith is based on a relationship. 
Faith is not an intellectual process. While Peter and John returned home, trying to process what they had just seen, Mary Magdalene remained at the tomb. She had come to the tomb when it was dark, and she would be the first to see the Lord in the morning light. Her love for Jesus is what opened the door of faith. The disciples did not come to full belief until later, until that first Easter evening, when their friend and master appeared to them. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus makes the approach. But in the order of appearances in John chapter 20, Jesus comes first to those who love him the most. Therefore, we must deepen our love for the Good Shepherd who has led us from death to life. We may love the Church in all her splendor, but it is not enough. The Church asks us to go deeper to the very source of our life. Jesus Christ is more alive than we are right now. And the way Jesus shares that life with us is through a relationship of love. It is like that first encounter at the tomb. John and Peter had gone home trying to figure out what happened. Mary Magdalene stayed, and Jesus first appears to her. And he says, Mary. And she looks up and she exclaims, Rabboni, teacher. And there is the first connection between the risen Lord and those of us who live as human beings in this world. It's a relationship that is founded in a mutual one of love. So this Easter, let me just encourage you in your prayers, in your heart, to go deep and to say simply, Lord Jesus, I love you. And there we will be with Mary Magdalene and have the privilege of knowing Jesus alive in our heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. There was a custom in the East when people would rise Easter morning and greet each other. The first one would say, the Lord is risen, and the other one would say, he has risen indeed, alleluia. We've had a kind of a resurrection with this weather, haven't we? My goodness sakes, the, the winter that would not go away. Isn't it interesting that on this weekend of celebrating Easter, that the weather should get very warm, kind of like a resurrection for us. It gives us another reason to proclaim Alleluia, doesn't it? It just gives us another reason to be more joyful in our Alleluia's today. And that's why 
I want to teach you another Alleluia. We're going to Uganda this summer. We have a mission there, as you know. We've had one there for many years. And we're going to go there with a group of about 14 and do some uh, mission work there. But when they celebrate Easter, boy, they know how to do Alleluia. I mean, if you've heard the Alleluias that cry out from uh, the, the, the countries of Africa, boy, you really can tell that they are happy about this feast. So uh, I thought we would do this Alleluia together this morning just to get, get them out of our system, right? We've been holding this in all Lent, and now we've got to get it out. So I'm going to sing it first, and then let's sing it together a second time and then a third time. It kind of takes a couple times to get the hang of it. Here's how it goes. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Together. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Again. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Alleluia, ha, ha, alleluia. Doesn't that feel good? That's better than a chocolate Easter egg. No? And just imagine that with dancing, right? Boy, they just, they know how to really celebrate this feast. I want to take a moment to be sure to welcome all the visitors that have joined us here this morning. We are so glad that you are here. God bless you. And we hope that you will come back and join us again another time. So we've had the chance this week, this holy week, to realize that your life and my life are part of a great story, a drama that we call salvation history. And God in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, asked his people to keep the Sabbath every Sunday so that they would never forget God as the creator of the heavens and the earth, that their origins is in God. But also once a year, he would ask them to celebrate the Passover, to remember God delivering them from slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. But our Catholic Holy Week is our Passover because what God did in the Old Covenant was not complete. There was more. 
because deliverance from Pharaoh was not the real problem. A greater deliverance was needed, deliverance from sin, which the blood of goats and bulls could not take away. And so it's this holy week that we have celebrated God sending His Son who came among us as a man. And as a man, He could know suffering, suffering unto death. And the good news that we hear proclaimed by Peter and his apostles, first by Mary Magdalene, He rose from the dead. We are not celebrating just a story of the past. A story cannot save anyone. We are celebrating Jesus, a person, God and man who rose from the dead. We are celebrating event, an event in history that impacts time all the way back to Adam and Eve and extending into the future, into eternity. That's what we're celebrating. And Mary Magdalene, and I love how Matthew adds a few more details to this scene. She encounters an angel who announces that Jesus has risen, and he says, now go, and she runs. She runs with the message she cannot wait to tell the apostles. And she is going through her own resurrection, a spiritual one. And my dear friends, it always begins here in the heart. The resurrection of the body, that's nothing to God. That's a piece of cake. But the resurrection of the soul, the heart, That's where it always has to start. And her spiritual resurrection began when Jesus met her and drove out seven demons that held her in bondage and the darkness of a spiritual death. And now at this moment, with the new knowledge of Jesus risen, a new faith is rising in her heart, a new hope and a new joy that she now looks at a future not with the absence of Jesus, but a future that is filled with Jesus risen. Every day, Jesus, with her, with the church, with us. There comes a time in our life, as it did in mine years ago, we have to know that this is more than a story. I was in high school, and I had the advantage of the witness of my brother and my sister. They were like St. John and Mary Magdalene to me. 
because they were witnessing the risen life of Jesus in our home because of the changes that were happening in their life that I had no explanation for. What is going on, I thought. Where are they getting this new strength to be different? And I was coming to my own spiritual resurrection, and it started with the awakening of my conscience that I had ignored for many years. Before sin did not matter. I just did whatever I wanted, and I didn't care. And all of a sudden, something starts to wake up. Now sin matters. My choices matter. The way I'm living matters. Because I was beginning to experience in those middle years of high school what Archbishop Fulton Sheen calls the grace of fed upness. The grace of fed upness. I was tired of playing all the games, of trying to fit in, of trying to be this and that, cool and groovy, whatever. I was tired of hurting the people who love me. I was miserable because I was hurting myself, and I was so ready to be done being selfish, living only for myself. That gets tired after a while. And just the emptiness of my life was pressing down upon me. And I was so unhappy living in a prison of my anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, a slave to all the things and the pleasures of this world, I was fed up, tired. And this is what brought me to my knees. In a moment when I probably prayed the first genuine prayer that I ever prayed. I don't remember the exact words, but Something like this. God, if you're real, I need you. Please help me. And with that came this cleansing of a spirit of repentance. I wanted to turn away from my life back here, and I needed to look forward to something better. And my sister and brother were assigned to me that something better was possible because of what Jesus was doing in them. And God answered that prayer in two ways. My friends, remember when we pray, God is the only one who knows how best to answer our prayers. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. We're not the best ones to know. And God will answer them in the way that's best for us. 
So God answered it the first way, by letting me taste his love. I came to a church service with a friend who invited me to a service up in the cities here. That was scary, coming from Wisconsin into Minnesota. They don't wear cheese on their head. What's going on here? What are those horns? Okay. And so I went to this service, and they had an altar call at the end where everyone that was there that night could come up if they wanted and give their life to Jesus. And yes, the man who gave the invitation had a southern accent, and he had a Bible in his hand, and he called us forward. And I turned to my friend and I said, I'm not going back to my old life. I know what's back there, and there ain't nothing back there. I got nothing to lose. I'm going. And so I came up, and I remember this group of Christians praying for me, and God in his mercy on this poor, lost, broken man allowed me to taste his love. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever experienced in my life. And I knew three things instantly and clearly. God is real, God loves me immensely, and God is going to help me change my life. Now, I needed that special grace because of what God was going to do next. What gets in the way of conversion is idols, and we are a country of idols. Even another person can be an idol if they are put in the place of God. And so over the next several months, everything that I was putting my hope and my trust in failed, like a house of sand just being washed away. I wanted to be a petroleum engineer and make a ton of money, but I was so confused I dropped out of college and all that was dashed to the ground had no job, no money, and the girlfriend I was dating made the best decision of her life. She left me for another man. <laughs> that too brought me to my knees. And there, for the first time in my life, I was actually willing to give God everything to surrender my life that I was holding on to so tightly. God, I can't do this anymore. You take it all. And he became the center of my life for the first time. My friends, this was only the beginning of my spiritual resurrection. When did yours begin. Sometimes that grace of baptism can lay dormant in a person's life for many years, and it takes a second conversion to make those seeds of grace sprout and come to life. Today we want to thank God for Jesus risen in your life, in my life, and all the ways that we experience 
He had the power of his resurrection. Because we, like Mary Magdalene, like the apostles, are to go out and share this with others. Amen.